Alexis Free of Media Camp, and I'm Sergey Ross back here with you guys. And in this episode, we are talking to Dan Froen, Chief Marketing Officer at a company called Sendoso. And if you don't know these guys, they really exist to delight and surprise their customers and prospects for business-to-business industry. They deliver stuff like direct mail, personalized personalized gifts, e-gifts, and other physical impressions at scale to build relationships. So if you have an account uh, that you're trying to sell to and that is really huge, then, well, how are you gonna get there, right? You could uh, do the same stuff as everybody else doing, emails, LinkedIn ads, and all of that, but, or you can actually send them a direct mail piece that is so personalized that they actually have to open and is meaningful. So with them, we are talking about personalization, extreme personalization. How, what are some of the successful campaigns he ran? What was the response rate? What worked? How he picks the right target accounts to send the gifts? How does he find home addresses? Uh, Especially now, since everybody works at home. Really cool episode. I think you guys will enjoy it. Here it is. All right, I'm here with Dan Froen. Dan, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. So you, uh, I saw your recent tweet, or sorry, it was a LinkedIn post that you said you were on vacation recently and uh, you're obviously Chief Marketing Officer at Sendoso, which is a role where you get to uh, endure a lot of daily stress. Uh, where did you go for vacation? I went nowhere. That, it, was, uh, it was what we call a staycation. So just a lot, of, um, a lot of hanging out with my two little boys. They're five and three and a half, riding bikes, hiking, and just hanging out. Oh, I mean, it's good. I mean, you did get, you did get a chance to go outside, right? Which is, which is pretty good for now. Yeah, that was good. I mean, I think, you know, technically, I guess I could have traveled somewhere, but with little ones, like I, I thought it was just important to take some time off, but not test the waters too much with everything that's going on. Right. How, how are you finding this whole crazy experience starting in March? Now we're in July. Uh, is it getting better for you uh, from the business perspective or is it been similar? so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I equate COVID and what's going on to kind of surfing. So when you're, when you're jumping in the water, you've got to paddle out past all of those waves that are breaking. But once you get out on that water, you can kind of start to read the wave line, what the wave sets look like and which ones you actually want to catch. And I think, hmm. um, I think Q2 was really all about um, getting out into that really rocky water. And uh, now I think it's all about um, seeing what the patterns look like and, and riding a, a, a good wave. That's a good analogy. Yeah, it's a good analogy. It doesn't sound like uh, we're going to be out of the water anytime soon, though. But uh... <laughs> I, I know. I hope, I hope everyone has a, their wetsuit on because it could get, could get cold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It doesn't, doesn't, look, uh, doesn't look terribly exciting so far, especially for some, for some businesses. Yeah. yeah. So um, you've been in marketing for decades. Um, uh, and I think you started in sales and marketing. You, you started in doing kind of both. Uh, yeah. tell, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, your start and how did you evolve from there? Because now you, you've been managing multi-touch marketing uh, in VP CMO roles for a while now. But like before that, it seemed you, you did both sales and marketing. Yeah, so I started, um, I actually started outside of technology um, in music publishing where we actually published hard hard goods. So we sold books to bookstores. Um, and that was like, a, it was an amazing experience because it was small enough of a company where um, even though I was in marketing, I, I had a lot of exposure to the sales team. And I, I one of my first promotions was to become head of marketing for our sales team. So 
I really learned very quickly what um, what consumer marketing was supposed to be doing for B2B marketing and like how that whole life cycle works. Like, and that's to me how I learned revenue marketing, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're doing marketing and it's not driving an end outcome, which is revenue, then you're really not doing your job quite frankly. Um, and later on in my career, when I, when I started moving up, um, I had an opportunity to go run a sales and marketing team at a, at a startup. And I did that for a year and it really just got me more and more ingrained with um, the fact that it's revenue marketing. And really my approach has been, um, typically I like to have a a big hand in the SDR org um, as part of my marketing efforts and really combine um, all of demand gen to SDR and then make sure that our programs are benefiting the sales cycle and the customer retention. So really just full life cycle marketing, quite frankly, um, that thinks about revenue and retention in a really big way. I feel like a lot of brand people were just disappointed with with, what you're saying if you're not focusing on revenue. (laughs) It's it's interesting because they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I mean, there's so many different tactics that that are highly brand centric, but they can drive demand at the same time and and vice versa. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just, uh, just making a joke. I know, of course, of course, it's, it's not black and white. I mean, there's always, uh, there's always uh, a point that, uh, you know, bo- both could work. And especially when you deploy all of them at the same time, that's when you see, when you see the main, uh, the biggest effectiveness. Who are, like, from, from your, from your perspective, uh, who do you see right now is killing it from, let's just focus on B2B marketing, since this is your business, uh, from the B2B marketing, who are some of the people that you are, like looking up to you or, or you see doing some amazing work from content personalization perspective? Yeah, I think um, one that one that I admire quite a bit is Gong. I think they've done a really good job of kind of finding what their voice is and, um, you know, they're, they're light and kitschy on social, they're getting your attention, they have, you know, the dog as part of their brand and you just want to smile. It's and, and it and quite frankly, they're pretty, they're selling you a pretty sophisticated and important product too that it can be fun at the same time um i think drift does a really good job you're, you're wearing the hat so yes <laughs> shout out to drift i know yeah. so they're always just really great at um keeping the content flowing and making it highly relevant um, those are probably my my two standouts i think um you know i think um some of the uh there's just so many I, but those are like the two that just really really stand out to me do, do you think uh the reason they did so well initially at least uh, it it was because they they have built the right foundation where they have started doing marketing early and the ceo and the leadership really really understood what it's about yeah i mean i think for drift in particular i mean if you look at like some of the stuff that that dave and team i know dave's moved on since but they they really built a very very solid foundation of core seo um, and made that a pillar of their thought leadership. And this is where it kind of goes back to um, like SEO, which is is very much a demand generation activity because you're trying to build for the long term and, and create your inbound can also be used for brand too. I mean, that's like stuff you should be promoting aspects of it on social. Your SDRs can be using it. So I think if you're you're building those those pillars and those rocks in a way that's serving long-term business, but also using it for your short-term business objectives, you, you really have a winning strategy. And I mean, it, it's, it's very apparent. I mean, just go search pretty much anything and, and mm-hmm. them and HubSpot are going to show up, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're at that level. 
Yeah, I think Drift still shows up as number one if you Google, like if somebody Googles product marketing, and yeah. I think it's their post from 2015, which is crazy. Oh, yeah, there, I'm competing with them on keywords that are, <laughs> where I'm like, how, how did you guys even think to, to try to optimize for this? But they, they did early and <laughs> now I'm now I'm trying to optimize up up and around them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard. I know it's when you're not. When do, what are your what are your thoughts then on pure SEO play uh, or I shouldn't say pure SEO like a heavy SEO strategy versus brand strategy where you're not really too much optimizing for SEO but you're going after um, certain social platforms. Let's say LinkedIn as your main channel. Yeah, I mean I think. Uh... From just an overall content strategy standpoint, I think you need to I need you need to be thinking of longer term growth engines at the center of everything, and then you need to make sure that those are uh, checked off first, and then you can start to think about how how can you take pieces of that long term growth content and make it relevant to audiences in the now. Um, plus, how can you start to stack on more maybe short term sort of uh, content strategies that are just um, making it so that your audience mm -hmm. is engaged, that they're entertained, that they're educated. So I think, I don't think either one's mutually exclusive. I think it's kind of like this priority stack. And honestly, I think it's kind right. of contingent upon, it's contingent upon what kind of business you are. I mean, if you're, if you're entering a category where there's known demand gen families, then there you go, right? You need to go optimize for that. But if you're yeah. category creating and there's nothing adjacent, um, maybe you go and quickly own the category that you're trying to mm -hmm. um, shout loud and proud, but then you're highly focused on finding that one channel where you can engage your audience in the contents for that. So I think, you know, you got to figure out what, what it's for in the first place. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely. It makes a lot of sense. What do you think about when we talk about pillars, pillar types of content, of course, we could go through like the main ones, the white papers, the webinars, the interviews. Are there any ones that you have seen that work very well in B2B? Any ones that maybe are underused or underappreciated? I mean, I think, I think we're really in that age of, and I think we've been here for a while, but it's even more apparent now where if any, any time that you can get someone to actually speak for you, that's a customer of yours is going to go a lot uh, longer way than it is if you're saying it yourself. So um, if you can get your customer voice testimonials at scale into your content mix and have it running through your social channels, have it all over your website, have it in your SDR and AE cadences, uh, I think that that's the stuff that's resonating the most. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. I've heard, uh, I was speaking to, uh, to Khan, uh, shout out to Lead Sift. Uh, so he basically uh, has this amazing strategy where he interviews thought leaders for five minutes, ask them three questions, and then repurpose it into shorter form videos that could be used for BD and could be used for, and they use it on LinkedIn. Um, and that's a pretty, pretty effective approach. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good approach. What do you, uh, what do you are doing uh, at Sendoso from, from that perspective? Or what are some of the uh, things that you have tried that you have seen being effective to, uh, to bring in the voice of customer beyond the boring, uh, and not that effective testimonials that the PDF brochures. Yeah. So the, there's a few different things and, and I'll, and I'll tell you, it's, to me, it's really hard to run a customer program at scale and continue to keep it fun and interesting. Um, one of the early programs that we did, it was actually last year, uh, in the fall was for national dog day. Um, and the team actually recorded a video where 
uh, we took some G2 testimonials and they were uh, read by dogs um, to celebrate oh, dog day. I like that. Yeah. And then, um, and then as part of that dog day promotion, we sent all of our uh, customers, key advocates and key prospects, uh, a dog day, um, like swag kit so that they could have Sendoso branded, um, dog stuff for their, for their, uh, for their dogs. Um, and then, you know, recently it's been about, um, it's been about getting them as part of our conversation. So something that we've noticed a lot, uh, during COVID is, um, and it kind of comes back down to like, how much how much content is too much content and if everyone's producing too much content how do you really get the relevant stuff that people are even going to pay attention to that's a great question and we saw a need very early where you know people need education on how to use our sending platform um during COVID. right what's what's successful what's going to drive pipeline and revenue during these times because what was working uh back in january and february is not working right now right um, so we took the approach of let's do a, a bunch of um, ask me anything. Let's do a bunch of sending for success workshops. Um, but it shouldn't just be us. Like, yes, we're one of our biggest customers internally. Um, we're lucky to have that mm -hmm. sort of product yeah. that we can do that. But also bring in a customer into each one and tell their story, how they're leveraging it so that our community uh, can benefit from uh, our customers and their success and actually share that versus us just kind of pontificating everything. That's what I always thought where, you know, you, whenever you do, yeah, you do a Q&A, which is great, or you do a webinar, like it's not, even though you have like phenomenal experts who are really, really good internally inside the team, it's just not enough yeah. from uh, like from the customer perspective or prospect perspective, like, yeah, yeah of course, these guys going to talk, even though you're really genuine and you have a great approach, and you're, not, you're not trying to sell anything. It's just that perception that always there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you're not doing it because you're really, ex I mean, obviously we're somewhat excited, but we also have an ulterior motive, right? We want to generate revenue. Yeah. But when you have a customer who's like, I just really love this tool on my stack and I love what the benefits that I'm getting from this. Like, yes, I want to go and talk to more of your customers and prospects. Like it's so pure, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Definitely. I uh, remember where I've heard about your company first. It was, uh, I think, a couple of years ago. I was watching uh, a presentation from a former VP of growth uh, at Drift. Uh, his uh, name is G, Guillaume, yeah. I think. Uh, great guy. Like, he super, he's, he's a beast uh, from, from automation perspective. And he said, I have this crazy automation. He was showing what he does at Drift at that point. And he was also doing similar thing at uh, Segment, I think. And he said, oh, when uh, there's a, where the chatbot on the website pops, there's, when you are coming in from a right account, uh, that, that the company is after, then there's a chatbot saying, how do you like your coffee? And then after they go through all that process, uh, then you, they, they automatically send a request to you and you deliver it, which yep. I thought like, that's, that's pretty incredible. That was a while ago. Uh, yeah. what, what are, what are you guys, uh, what are you guys doing right now from personalization perspective? I've heard some stories about direct mail. I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. I mean, so there's so many, there's so many things. So I actually talked to G about that exact use case. Mm -hmm. Um, back at the PLG summit, um, when last year, when it was a much better time for <laughs> being around people. Right. But some of the things, so we, we like to use our own, uh, integrations. So we are an outreach shop, um, for our sales engagement platform. So we've got, um, different kind of triggered sends based on like responses we get. If, um, if someone is, uh, like opening up emails and showing engagement, but not um, responding, then we have a trigger that will actually like kind of do a Hail Mary of like lunch on us. 
Um, mm-hmm. During during COVID, like we did a lot of uh, work from home campaigns that were really around um, like different kind of like if 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 we were researching and we knew that you had a kid, it's like hey, I'm I'm gonna I I need 15 minutes of your time, but I realize that that you that you have kiddos, so mm-hmm. you know, here I'm happy to offer you up like a $15 Netflix gift card so that you can keep the kids entertained in the background. That's a great approach. What about, um, what about direct mail? Like, um, I think, uh, you, like I've heard this and I thought this is such a great approach because like, you're not gonna like even, and I know some people, a former drift and preview now Dave and his team will disagree that copywriting might not, it it's great, but it's not quite enough sometimes when yeah, your inbox gets all of this spam. Um, yeah. so you're not going to probably get too much um open like high open rates from uh from your email list unless you have a very highly curated high quality content and it's your audience then yes but most people don't have that uh from direct mail perspective what are some of the things that you have tried that you've seen uh have been effective yeah i mean particularly with COVID, i mean we're we're in this challenging area where you know back in pre-covid times you could send direct mail to someone's office and um there was a strong likelihood that it was either going to land on that person's desk or it would land in the department. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, that's not a real reality right now. Most people are work from home. Um, so what we've, what we've seen uh, work really well is we have an address confirmation feature. So when we want to send something out, uh, we send it out as an offer, which kind of goes back down to your point around email. It's like everyone's inbox is flooded. So it actually makes um, it makes the copywriting, it makes the balance of touches that you're putting on the individual uh, that much more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we've incorporated video from Vidyard into our emails, um, you know, really saying like, hey, yeah. we're we're about to drop this direct mail piece, but please go and verify where you'd like it sent so that we can do X, Y, Z. It means that the social touch is even more important through in mail. It means that the phone call is even more important than ever. Um, and not just trying to land in the inbox. So right. interestingly enough, direct mail right now is very much a, um, it's a multi-channel strategy where, where part of it is landing um, in someone's uh, inbox. And, it's, and mm-hmm. it's, it means that you have to try that much harder to actually get their uh, attention. But then when you do get their attention, it's something that lands on their desk and sits there, right? Versus um, just spam in an inbox that never got opened in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always the other side of the coin where, you know, when you have all this automated spammy messages that are so easy to see and people are so well-trained now, when you actually send a genuine one or a really good one, it tends to stand out. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I'm I'm notorious for not answering um, uh, prospecting emails, um, even though I should, it would probably give my team better karma. <laughs> but the ones, the ones that stand out are the ones that are that, you know, that that take the time to really stand out in that in that subject line and the first two sentences. Because I don't even have to open up the email; I know exactly what I see when I'm there. Right. Um, it's the people that not only do that to get on my radar, but then they're figuring out how to thoughtfully engage with me on social. Um, and and get in front of me in the right way, and I'll respond to those people. Um, Dan, how many? How many? Uh, I'm curious. Like on average, how many um, connection requests do you get on LinkedIn daily? It it ebbs and flows. I mean, it's not insane. It's probably like maybe 40, 40 or so. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lot. 
uh, but it's interesting though like you you get so many automated ones that just uh yeah. it's like uh, it's it's a it's difficult it's getting harder to walk to work through those now it, it definitely is and i you know i i think for linkedin in particular unless it's like an, a horrific um note that basically says like accept this and i'll start hitting you until you take my meeting immediately nine times out of ten i'm going to accept it because i believe in an open network and the ability to communicate and um have that six degrees of separation that they're trying to achieve there no that makes sense that makes sense i know some people are very protective but that's probably a more old school approach now especially now yeah. what about um like with um like obviously you you power all the great abm campaigns uh and that's uh, let's say if we decide to do uh direct mail uh like how do you go about selecting the accounts and what do you usually recommend your clients to like how how many accounts would you say on average is a good target to hit uh, uh to 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 test and then later to follow up with like a full scale campaign what do you normally would would suggest yeah so for us like we if we're running a test, like we would test anywhere between 50 and maybe 150 accounts and then between one and two contacts in each. And then my, my, and it depends on what you're trying to do. Like, let's say that it's like at the top of the funnel and it's in coordination with your SDRs. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would ask them to prioritize like tier one and tier two accounts that are our higher uh, propensity to buy and like our more valuable accounts. Um, and then I would start to have them start to look at, is there already engagement on that account? Is there intent already? Um, and what that looks like, and then prioritize the accounts that way. Right. Um, at the top what of the, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And that's like at the top of the funnel and, you know, depending on, you know, when you're in sales cycles, like we actually ran a campaign last quarter called project thaw, which was deliberately trying to, um, basically wake up um, stalled opportunities. And that was really based on a similar methodology. Plus, you know, the AE already knows enough about the account beyond what marketing could ever do from a data standpoint to where you mm -hmm. put that data science plus the gut in and then target that way. What, what kind of offers do you put out then for, for those campaigns? Let's say you're trying to re-engage an account, you send a direct mail piece or you send a cookie, like some, something really creative. What would be a, a call to action or any kind of offer that you'd, you'd have uh, maybe under PS or not, not direct? Yeah, so I mean, the, the project thought that I was just telling you about it, it, it actually was fortune cookies. And within, um, within each fortune cookie, it had an ROI statement from one of our customers. And the call to action there was really like, you know, call us back. We think we can not only help you get these results, but probably better um, as the call to action to, you know, come talk to us again. And it, and it, it, the response rate was extremely great. I mean, we had 60, I think 61% of the audience um, actually opted in to get the, the, um, the fortune cookies. And then mm -hmm. um, we, we spent $4,000 and brought in $180,000 in revenue on it. Uh, which was great so that from like a single campaign that's pretty phenomenal um, on, on the sdr side it can vary um so you know we we believe in two two philosophies descending one is prescriptive where marketing might uh, cook up a campaign um mm -hmm. and we actually have one cooked up so i can't give too much detail yeah leadership designation uh, with account-based execution um, there'll be content in there 
um, that's that's relevant. There'll be um, something in there that's relevant, and and the offer is really like um, you're an ABM practitioner. Um, we'd love to send you uh, X Y Z to learn how you can be incorporating this into your uh, account based execution. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other piece, and that's prescriptive. We're saying yep. give us 150 accounts and um, let's go do this together. But the other side is like we we actually have an integration with Amazon. So when our um, when our SDRs are out researching their target accounts and they find out that the CRO at a Fortune uh, 500 company is a huge like um, Seattle Seahawks fan, like go and order him the the helmet and send a handwritten note and land it on. That's his amazing. Desk. Yeah. That's amazing. I've uh, I've actually on this note, I think this is genius. I've read a, an article that totally resonated. There was a there were a few guys who figured out how to get Tom Hanks on their podcast and oh, they, they 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 send him they re, they figured out somehow like like you just said, they figured out how that he loves collecting this uh, typewriters from the uh, the Second World War. So they uh-huh. found one from like 1938 like brand new. I don't know where did they get it and then they found his address and they mailed it to him and then they they had this uh, this uh, paper sheet where you had to like pull out and then he's like dear tom blah. <laughs> and he 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 responded that's amazing yeah i mean it's those sorts of things right it's it's out of the box it lands on your desk and it's like how how wouldn't you respond to that yeah so, yeah. so much, so much, so much work done. No, that's, that's really interesting. What about, so, so let's say you do a campaign, let's say you hit 50 people, you, you try it out. What do you do from other channels perspective? Uh, how would you, um, add a little bit more touch points from social or other platforms? What would you normally be looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we definitely use targeted, uh, like digital advertising that we can actually specify down to the account and persona level. Mm-hmm. So we'll always run, um, as part of like, as part of like a one-to-one or one-to-few ABM program, we will have a send. We will have digital that's supporting that. We will have uh, in a lot of t- in a lot of instances, we'll actually have a a, a somewhat customized uh, landing page for the brand itself with some curated content as well as like an SDR cadence. So we're really trying to hit it as like that yep. one company, one sort of voice. This is what we're trying to con- um, compel you to do with us. Uh, in a in a in a multi-channel way for sure, right, right. Um, are you have you have you tried? Uh, I'm curious. Have you tried running like LinkedIn ads uh, for specific accounts uh, with that approach, or are you doing? Are we using like an ABM software? We're using so we we're using an ABM software. Plus, we've done it um, ourselves in house before too. Um, and interestingly enough, um, <laughs> it must have been late last year. I actually there was an account executive that was trying to get hired at our company and I kept on logging in and I was like, why is, why is Sendoso advertising to someone at Sendoso? And then I realized what they had done is taken our logo and they said, Hey, Sendoso, like, make sure you're checking out my resume. And <laughs> it, was, uh, it was insane. So hiring tip for anyone who's, who's trying to land right now, like that could be a good one. If you really love that. Brand. There you go. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's really good. No, that, that, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that um, was so cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. It is a great approach because you could get very, very specific with with LinkedIn, especially with LinkedIn ads. You totally can, and I mean the other thing too is like the is the um, is the paid in mails as well, right? Like if you wanted to have exec alignment internally and have like your CMO or your CEO mm-hmm. um, land a message into your core, into some of your key um, into your key uh, prospects uh, in mailboxes, you could do that as well. I mean, the technology is there to be able to do that one-to-one. 
Absolutely. Do you, I mean, you mentioned this, this is a, this is definitely a challenge right now where like you can't find addresses of people to, to message them. Have you found any way around it? Uh, or is there, is there an option, is there a way around it besides just confirmation email or? I mean, there's not, not really because it, particularly here in the United States and it, it gets worse when you start looking at UK and I and like an APAC, like people, mm -hmm. people for some reason, B2B business information, have at it, right? You, it's like oil. Anyone can have it. Um, just go to the gas station, fill her up. Yeah. Um, and that that line between consumer is is a very um, it's a very strong line. So we we as a company have just taken a stance that we're not doing any kind of gray area, um, trying to source uh, consumer data and match it back mm -hmm. to B two B. We want to be above board on that. Yeah. We want to make sure that um, that the recipient has opted in. Uh, and then we also want to make sure that they know that we're only using their address once and then we're destroying it too out of our system. Um, because we do, we do believe that, uh, that the home is a lot different than the office and uh, that data needs to be protected. That, that, that sounds very similar to a texting. I've uh, posted once on LinkedIn saying, oh, I'd love to try text-based, uh, text-based campaigns because the open rates are high and I've got so much negative, so many negative comments. That was a popular yeah. post. And like, everybody's like, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. Like people would hate you. What are your thoughts? I, I think it comes down to, it's funny on the consumer side, like I'll get text messages from like a, an e-commerce platform that maybe I ordered from a year ago and I guess somehow they got the right to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think on the B2B side, um, uh, it, it's very similar to like the early days of probably email marketing where, um, just because you got my email doesn't mean you should send me your newsletter first. Maybe, yeah. maybe try having your SDR get somewhat personal and at least pretend that you know who I am. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that the, e I think that the text message is the same thing. Like it's gotta be, you have to have earned the right to do that. Uh, and it can't happen programmatically. I, I firmly believe that. I, right. I think um, I think you'll just burn that that bridge real quick. Yeah, I mean, you don't really have that many that many options as in B two C. The the market is 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 pretty limited. No, that yeah. that makes a lot of sense. That's that's what I've heard from from a lot of folks in in my network too. Let's talk about content. I mean, uh, you obviously do, you, you, you don't only focus on personalization from the business standpoint, you also do a lot of uh, work on personalizing content for your audience. How do you approach that uh, besides the, the standard things that we do, like talking to your customers, uh, understanding their pain points, creating content around it. Let's say it's a video, it could be white paper, it could be a webinar. Uh, that's totally, totally makes sense. What are some of the things that are maybe a little bit more uh, interesting or a little bit more personalized that you would be creating or producing from in, in house. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I don't, I don't necessarily think we're doing anything from a personalization standpoint that would be um, like above or beyond what I, what I think a lot of other B2B companies are doing. Mm -hmm. I think we're all kind of, I think we're all kind of in the same boat with what, what tools are available to us, how much time and effort you would invest in that, in what I would call like, like hyper personalization at scale versus what the actual business value is that you get yeah. in return for that. Um, and I, I think what, what we re, what we as a marketing team learned very early on in, in March when COVID first hit was um, we actually have this really unique opportunity to educate the market um, because we are a marketing team that lost all of our events because you couldn't travel anymore 
had to figure out how we were going to hit our demand generation pipeline goals and revenue goals. And by the way, like we were using Sendoso as a power user. So we, we kind of took that approach of, mm-hmm. um, of, of starting our thought leadership that way, where it was, you know, um, our first blog post during that time was um, all of our events got canceled. Here's 10 things we're doing instead. And really kind of used it as, as a we're in it with you sort of approach. And, and it resonated really hard. And um, what, it's, what it's really evolved into now is, um, is like finding the way together. So, you know, there's, there's certain things that I think have happened as a result of, of COVID. I think, I think we all talked about account-based marketing, account-based mm-hmm. selling, account-based everything. In theory, I think it was fun to go look at the tools, but, you know, we, we were just kind of, I think we've been stuck in this world of, like which which ABM platform is better, or you know, I'm thinking about doing true one to one. What does that look like? To like, we have to be target account focused at this point. Uh, we don't have a choice anymore because we don't have the budgets to just spray and pray everywhere. We need to refine who we're going after. We need to double down on the right things and cut the the fluff. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that's actually propelled a lot of our content forward in a big way too to make it more relevant. Um, and make it make it really hone in on like what business problems people are, are looking to us to help them solve. Um, and it and it kind of goes back down to our, our earlier conversation around like mm-hmm. the proliferation of content. It's like, would Sendoso be better off publishing a like a a blog with like the top fifty books you could be reading right now uh, in shelter in place, or should we, would we be better off like giving you some business strategies that that are working for us that can help you hit your goals and what we've learned is that our audience wants to hear the business strategies that are going to help them hit their goals. Right. Yeah. So right. that, that to me is like, that to me is the, is the balance of personalization is what do you, what does your audience want to know? Um, and are they consuming it? And if so, when you produce more of it, do they keep consuming it and turning it into customers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, pretty, pretty uh, straightforward, but we like to complicate it more with uh, like book type posts. No, totally. I mean, some of that stuff's cool, right? Um, but if everyone was doing it, <laughs> we wouldn't. Um, I I would never have time to work. I'd be reading, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, Drift did it quite a bit. I mean, I, I think later they they pivoted into uh, types of headlines where, like, a wartime CMO. Here's what you should do, which is similar to what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very, very actionable. This is what people need. Like, hey, how do I, like, I, I open my laptop in the morning. What should I do? How do, should I think about my strategy? Like, like, do I keep doing webinars or do I just do something else? Yeah. What do you do from, uh, like, what, what are some of the things that you have seen success with during this time from the video perspective? Um, like any kind of video content that uh, you have seen working well from from the marketing perspective, you, your SDRs probably are doing some of those as well. Yeah, yeah. Something it, it's weird because I, there's definitely the two schools of thought, right? There's the school that thinks you only push video if it's highly polished and um, mm-hmm. like just ready for Hollywood, right? And then there's the school that that says you can record something over a Zoom meeting and you can put a, a front and back trailer on it and you're good. Um, and, and an early success that we saw, and quite frankly, I think it was kind of an accident, is um, as we were as we were publishing that content on the top ten things that we're doing instead, we we went and interviewed um, I think like fifteen or sixteen marketing practitioners and CMOs and just talked to them about like how are you pivoting your strategy, 
uh, and we recorded them on Zoom in 10 minute videos and we ended up releasing them as part of our like leading up to the virtual event that we ended up doing in April uh, and they performed really well right um, and we realized really quickly that um, that it's not necessarily like the, there's probably an acceptable minimum on the quality of what you're pushing but if if that hits the threshold of acceptable minimum like people are resonating with the content they're going to consume it and uh, it's it's one of those things that we think is one of our strongest channels that we're actually going to be investing more in in q3 so definitely mm -hmm. be stay tuned for more video content from us for sure oh for sure for sure i mean because it's because it's real right like um and i mean i'm in a second camp where like i like the way that i look at it is and I, um, i'm on linkedin i see all this all this micro pieces of content performing very very well is that like the audio and the subtitles are way more important than the picture, than the video, the audio and subtitles, the video, it's like, even if there's no video, that's, that's, that's great. Like if, if there's a, a webinar where the pixelated image or like there's like with a frozen picture because somebody had a bad internet, that's still a great piece of content. All you have to do, you create an image, you put it um, into your editing software, then you add subtitles with Rev, and then you add an image of a person who speaks and you push it on LinkedIn. And if it's good, like it's going to perform extremely well. That's a good, that's a good hacky tip. I love that. Yeah. Cause I, it works. It totally, totally works. Like I've, I followed, uh, like one of the people I, I like, I really like, uh, his strategy is Chris Walker from refine labs. Um, he's also, he's out, he's also from Boston. Uh, and, uh, he basically pushes a lot of content on LinkedIn. He's getting like hundreds of thousands of views, uh, from, from that, from every post pretty much. Nice. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super effective. Are you uh, from, from social channels? Are you, uh, like, are you focusing on, on a specific channel, uh, or have you seen a success in one channel or are you mostly doing like multi-touch like all other vendors? Yeah. So Facebook, uh, early on, even before I joined the company, they decided it wasn't an effective channel. So they just park a page and, um, redirect, um, mm. Twitter were active and LinkedIn were active. Um, LinkedIn is definitely our channel that that um, is the most engaged and interactive. Um, Twitter, Twitter to me is one of those ones where you have to be dedicated to um, growing your audience in kind of like an old school way. I'd say I think right. most of the time, um, following people and then getting that reciprocal follow and return is the strategy for most B two B brands, unless you're just kind of taking off, which is great. Um, LinkedIn has been much more organic for us and, um, you know, getting to the place where I think we'll probably be at 10,000 followers by the end of the quarter. And you're, you're, you're prioritizing the company page, not the, not the individualized pages of, uh, employees. Yeah. So we're, you know, it's interesting cause there's two schools of thoughts on this, right? Like if, if, um, if you have a company page and you're just posting stuff from there, like but no one's engaging, then you're really just talking to yourself. So we have a hybrid approach where mm -hmm. we definitely want the company page to, to have traction and it, and it does, but we incentivize our employees to go repost and share um, and breed their own brands as well. And at mention and, you know, doing stuff like this, like um, when right. this posts, like we'll get a brand mention, I'll yeah. promote it to my network. So really kind of like that double pronged approach um, mm -hmm. has worked well for our, for our brand page as well. Yeah. So what I've heard, the best approach, the best answer I've heard from that is that um, even before jumping into it, that uh, the company pages are generally what I've heard and I've seen is that they are a little bit deprioritized from LinkedIn algorithm compared to people's posts. So, so LinkedIn does want people to post versus 
uh, posting from company pages. Yeah. However, there's this argument and it's a great one where when the company hits a certain scale, uh, you just can't keep posting uh, from from a personal account. Like Pepsi is yeah. not going to post from a personal account. So like how could that be measured? The, the cutoff usually happens from a revenue perspective where a company hits like 30, 50, uh, $70 million in revenue, then that's probably a good time to actually go and, and start working from a company perspective. And then maybe there's one ev evangelist or two from a sales team or from a marketing team, that's good. But then everybody else actually engages with a company post and does tagging, like you said. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just the, it's because it's uh, like that point where, you know, LinkedIn happens to be a very personalized platform, especially over the last year, you see a comment from a brand uh, yeah. and it's just so weird. Like who, who's that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, me even being an admin on our, on our brand page, like I'll do that from time to time where I'm actually logged in as an admin and forget. And then I go and like, like something. And I'm like, oops, I send also just like something. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's a, and it also people have this, people have this bait, bad taste or bad perception because of it's been driven by guys who, who do it in a, in a, in a way that just to try to, to get the revenue, right? Yep. Yep. Maybe, maybe it's real. Maybe it's actually a good thing, but, but of course it's been, uh, it's one of those things where everybody says, everybody thinks that marketers are liars and <laughs> that's what Sid Godin wrote about, right? <laughs> We're just humans. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's like, sometimes you just, I mean, you were telling the truth, which just are like, uh, I think David Ogilvy said, like, we're just trying to make it a little bit more fascinating and yeah. that's really it. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, yeah. Let's see. What about, um, I mean, you did mention books, uh, briefly. Are, are there any books then that, uh, you have found useful or had a chance actually even had a time to read because now it's a crazy time. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't had a ton of time to read. I mean, I've got two books sitting here on my desk right now that I was, that I reminded myself to read right when COVID hit and that's the challenger sale and the challenger customer just mm -hmm. to kind of remind ourselves that we need to be very pointed and like, um, in how we're engaging with customers and prospects and make sure that we're multi-threading and all that fun stuff. Um, but a lot of like the, the books that, that I've read in the past are, and I, I studied marketing quite a bit, um, in my younger days and, um, some of the really classical, um, textbooks on brand marketing. There's this book uh, called Hey Whipple Squeeze This, which is a, about, um, like advertising mm -hmm. copywriting. Like, I think those kind of fundamental marketing texts are pretty critical um, just to kind of go learn what the roots were of marketing, what some of the old school advertising was, because it's all still very, very relevant today. It's, it's getting someone's attention and having a very strong call to action and being memorable. Um, and then, you know, from a business book standpoint, I think um, I, there's, there's uh, like one to zero, there's, you know, yeah. good to great good to great is still timely, even though some of those companies went out of business. I mean, there's definitely just so many good texts um, that you could be reading. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think you mentioned, you mentioned old school marketing books. I think uh, it was David Cancel. I think he said, like uh, he, he said, he told Dave, hey, go read all those old uh, copywriters. And, and I uh, actually have heard it on uh, back in the day of uh, Seeking Wisdom podcast when they were running it. And I went to read uh, Scientific Advertising, Cloud Hopkins, 1921. <laughs> and, and, and it's amazing that it's still 100% relevant. Yeah. Uh, but, but everybody wants to run Facebook ads and, and do the hacks on the website because it's more cool. 
That's true. And I mean, and I, and I love that stuff too. Right. But you know, part of <laughs> it always comes back down to COVID, but when we were kind of reevaluating our offers and what was out there, like we needed to go back to all of our ads that we're running and make sure that like it was as timely and as pointed of an offer as possible and that we were being as provocative as possible and then timely with the language of what people were trying to solve. Right. That's all part of the personalization yeah. too is like, it's not just one-to-one -one personalization. It's relevancy within all these audiences that you're trying to talk to, not running the tactic. I mean, the tactic is just the, the cool technology that we get to geek out on as marketers, but the fundamentals are just there forever. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think, uh, you would probably agree with that, that how much you could learn from B2C, like if, like, uh, if we go and study Amazon and especially mm -hmm. the changes that Amazon keeps making, it's unbelievably clever. So yep. now if you're going to check out and you're trying to remove the item from your cart, they made it so difficult. There's this little tiny button that says change. It's almost not there. It's almost not there. They are keep changing it. They have changed it now uh, during COVID because now I was trying to remove an item. I couldn't find where. <laughs> it's almost criminal, but I love it. <laughs> it, it it's smart though. It's smart because yeah. like you get the, you know, all those abandoned carts and all of that. And of course, I know some people would argue, well, it's not relevant in B2B, but it is in a way because, um, you know, it's, you are thinking about signing, signing up and you need a certain number of touches. Uh, and it's the same thing, right? You need the number of touches like 15, 20, uh, whatever it takes. Um, I mean, more, the more, the, the higher the cost, but then like you have to figure out how to do that. Cause like we can't hit people with 15 white papers. No, you can't. And I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think the psychology of you as a consumer and you as a business person really is no different. Uh, especially now that we're working from home, that you have all these consumer grade apps on your phone, but you might also have B2B apps. Like, why would you expect your B2B app to be any less great than any of your consumer grade apps? And the, the answer is you shouldn't. Like, you're, you're the same person regardless of whether you're business or consumer. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Dan, is there any, anything we have missed in the conversation? Anything, any final messages that you would like to leave the audience with? I think the big final message is um, keep on keeping on, right? I think um, I think we we collectively as a marketing, content, sales, revenue, customer success community, whatever you want to call us, right? Are yeah. um, we are all in uh, we are all in uncharted territory right now, and uh, we're all in it together. And I think we all have an amazing opportunity to really double down on really great sales, marketing, and customer success, and, and just kind of come out of where we are today, um, much more effective, much more uh, able to to hit our goals without waste, right? So I would challenge everyone here, like, let's, let's make our profession the best profession it can be right now. Definitely. And uh, you, you, you guys are doing uh, a lot of good content on that. Um, with that in mind, where's everybody can find you online? And uh, what are some of the resources we should, uh, our audience should check out? Yeah, so you can find us at sendoso.com. Um, and some of the resources, we have a blog, uh, we have a resource center, and then we have an, a new ROI calculator. So if you're interested in learning more about, you know, how you could be plugging in a strategy like Sendoso into your demand generation, we have a quick calculator that you can use to see what kind of lift you might be able to get. And then also you can find us on LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Uh, and the same for me, I'm, I'm Daniel Fronin on both platforms. Sounds good. I'll actually link it all below so you guys could check it out, especially if you're selling to large accounts. I think it's a phenomenal 
option because like increase in Facebook budget can only get you that far. You actually need something personal. Uh, but then thank you so much for coming. Super cool to chat with you. And it was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening. This was an episode number 63. And I was chatting to Dan from Sendoso. If you are in B2B industry and you're selling to enterprises, I would highly recommend to check out what they're doing because especially now when we're under global lockdown, you might get some pretty incredible results in B2B if you're selling to enterprises. So go check out their stuff. You could also connect with me on LinkedIn if you haven't done already. So I'm always, always interested. You have a link in the show notes as well to my LinkedIn profile. Um, thanks for listening again, and I will see you in the next interview.